Hi, this is State Representative Ron Simmons, probably better known as the originator of Purple Thursdays in the Texas House. Welcome to this week's TribCast, and your host is Reeve Hamilton, who oddly enough, and we'll have to ask his parents about it, was named after a character in the Canterbury Tales. Take it away, Reeve. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton, and that's not actually where my name came from, but I'm here with the TribCast for the second week of December. Joining me is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor-in-Chief and CEO, Evan Smith. I'm last. Oh, I'm well, excuse me. <laughs> oh, hello. What's that? Emily, what are you trying Emily's to say? Yeah. They always make the women go last in this podcast. What does a woman have to do to have her voice body body? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hi, Reeve. I'm Emily Ramshaw. She's the editor. She's here. Her it's new true. hair is here. She's last. She brought her they new They can't hair. see my but new hair least. on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. You're least, right? Oh, should we take a new I'm... picture of you? I hadn't even thought oh. about that. God, let's I'll not, make Todd do it. Let's not worry about it too much. Let's get right into it. This is obviously the, not obviously, I guess. If you pay attention to political news, it's the week when all the chips fell in terms of who's going to run for what. Uh, the biggest chip. It's National Steve Stockman week. <laughs> Except for some random extended deadlines. Right. Yeah, there's we'll some, get into There's that. some leftover chips. Let's start, let's start with the top chip, though. And that is the, the chip that surprised everyone, and that's the Steve Stockman. The greatest thing that ever happened. Who is Steve Stockman? Who would like to give us his little brief bio? Ross. Steve Stockman is a U.S. representative. He's the guy who beat Jack Fields in 1994 when the Republicans kind of took over the Congress. Uh, Jack Fields was a longtime um, congressman from southeast Texas, an old friend of LBJ's. It was a big shocker that year. Steve Stockman got in. Two years later, he got knocked out again, partly because of redistricting. He ran for railroad commission against Tony Garza and lost, and then a couple of years ago came back and ran for Congress when we redistricted again. He's now in Congress, and he showed up um, at 559 or something like that on Monday, having already signed up for re-election and said, I'm going to pull my name out of the re-election bin and put it in the U.S. Senate race. So now he's John Cornyn's best-known opponent. Right. Basically one minute away from the filing deadline for everybody else who might have wanted to seek his seat, CD36. And, and if you remember, Louis Gohmert was mentioned as a possible candidate briefly against Well, and, and there was against, an effort to Cornyn. recruit... There Louis Gohmert, whom Stockman makes look like a liberal. There was an effort to recruit David Barton. So the, David Barton. The, some of the people in the sort of the populist insurgent wing of the Republican Party have been trying to get an opponent for Cornyn. For some time, but and, Stock, and they Stockman had mostly the given most out their opponent they could have possibly. Well, yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, they had a couple Tea Party Republicans who had signed on, but really nobody that had prompted the Cornyn campaign to do anything more than you know send out a tweet. I mean, there were no press releases, nothing until Stockman, and now they, it's like they, a barrage. They're, they're nothing burger candidates. Well, why is Stockman such a big deal? Why is everyone so excited Stockman. about Stockman? Or is he a big deal? Well, well he's going to lose. So that's why he's a big so deal. That. Right. I mean, but, the news of his so entry, that's over. Thanks. The news <laughs> of his entry into the race was, you know, big news not just in Texas, but nationally, it was all over the Atlantic. Mostly, all the it's time. because someone whose name we've actually heard of and someone who's actually a current member of Congress is going to run against John Cornyn, and he released this manifesto basically on his website where he explained his decision, and really, it was all sort of uh, pegged to this idea that Cornyn didn't stand with Cruz around uh, the Obamacare faux libuster. The idea that John Cornyn is a liberal is just nutty. Well, this John started... Cornyn is not a liberal. John Cornyn may not vote on every issue the way that every single person in the Tea Party or the outer edge of the outer edge of the Tea Party wants. 
But whatever John Cornyn's sins may be, he's not a liberal. Well, he spotted this early, right after Ted Cruz got elected. There was an Emily Ramshaw story about a year ago about but Cornyn was, running to the right. That was with her old hair, though. Right. It was with her old Cornyn's hair. Cornyn's old hair? Or Cornyn, or Cornyn was running to the Both right. And he was He was already shoring up. thing is, well. He was already, he was already shoring up his resume against an expected challenge this year. So he's got a year of this, and he's got a lot of these things lined up. It's going to be very difficult for Steve Stockman or anybody else to get any support for this thing. Stockman has no money. In fact, he has less than no money. He's right, in debt. in the red. Cornyn's got millions of dollars in the bank. And the big thing, the biggest difference in this race, which is att- people are attempting to compare this to the Cruz-Dewhurst race, is that Stockman's not Cruz, and Cornyn's not Dewhurst. Cornyn doesn't have Dewhurst liabilities, and Stockman doesn't have Cruz's potentially uh, a positive, potentially positive attributes in that when Cruz ran. He had the support of the outside money groups nationally, Club for Growth and others. Uh, Cruz was an articulate spokesperson for his brand of conservatism. Stockman, shall we say, has not been. Well, and I think that's really that's really why the press is so excited about it to some extent, isn't it? I mean, Cruz is very careful about what he says and, and almost has, you know... Although not restrained. But, but he, he knows what he's saying and he, he puts it in a certain way and he's careful about it. He's Stockman about it. is famous for... Right, uh, tweeting anything and anything. I mean, popping off. I mean, right. just right. sort of amazing tweets. Well, I mean, some of them can't even think of what they are now. But I had the famous one about the, you know, the greatest thing about the Earth is that you can poke it with sticks and oil comes out. Like just random stuff. Mm-hmm. He's also Ted he's also the, the one who who famously, notoriously, maybe brought Ted Nugent to the State of the Union. Ted Nugent won't even and endorse Ted Nugent him. won't even endorse him. Right. Ted Nugent is saying, oh, they're both great. In fact, you know, Club for Growth came out this week said we're not going to get in this race. Every major politician running for office in Texas who has been asked and has answered has said, I'm not getting in this race. Stockman doesn't have any support. In fact, today, Greg Abbott uh, announced that, uh, pardon me, John Cornyn announced that um, George Strake, who was an early and important supporter of former um, head of the Republican Party of Texas Texas, in Houston, Houston, uh, an important and early supporter of Ted Cruz's, is endorsing uh, Cornyn. Drew Brandeweiss, is that how you pronounce it? Brandeweiss, yeah. Brandeweiss, who's a, a Cornyn's a spokesperson, has been batting uh, Stockman around for the last day on Twitter like a kitten with a ball of yarn. This is like fun. You can just see it. They've got plenty of ammunition. they got an entire cache of ammunition. Well, and all these ethics them, investigations. and you know, So why didn't, yeah. why didn't Stockman just stay where he probably would have won? Well, not probably would have won. He would have won. He had very little. He had very little opposition. opposition. He was he was set up because these guys see an opening now since Cruz. I mean, you know, you can tell Stockman you're no Ted Cruz, but Stockman doesn't know that he's no Ted Cruz. And I think he looks. And Stockman thinks, doesn't strike me like the kind of person on Twitter. He doesn't strike me like the kind of person who listens to reason. You know, without taking anything away from Cruz's capabilities, he won a lottery. He he. Everything fell exactly right. It's when supposed to work that way. He had had it been it was... back in March as opposed to May, right? All right. other circumstances equal. He, he wasn't probably sure lost. at the beginning of that race in his own, you know, when I talked to him at the very beginning of that race, he wasn't sure he had the time or the money to pull it off. And and there was a lot of thought that, yeah. you know, if he could lose that race respectfully, respectably and make his name a little bit, that he would be the front runner for AG. the attorney general's race that's right. now going on. And that, in fact, is probably what would have happened. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that in that race, it is, it is as much the case that Dewhurst snatched defeat from the jaws of victory as right. Cruz won. Well, so, the, but everybody else looks at this and says, well, I could be like Ted Cruz. Cornyn's not going to do that. And even Ted Cruz isn't uh, winning all the time anymore. He just lost time person of the year to the Pope. <laughs> it's true. I mean, you know, he's totally lost he was that in, magic touch. I at think. least he was in good company. It has a weird picture. <laughs> I don't know list. if you saw the Time story. The Time story has this 
picture of Cruz sort of reclining in his chair with his feet up on his desk, and the photographer's obviously standing right next to the stapler on his desk. It's pretty weird. You should go look. Okay. We'll go right now. Everybody go take a second. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll pause while you pause, go Pause, right. Okay, back. Um, well, uh, so, I mean, is that, is that it for Stockman? So his, his entry is... Well, as, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's over now. Thank that's you. It's over. As Emily alluded to, now there's the question of who's going to run for okay, his seat. Okay, so there right. is a larger point to be made about this. Oh, probably, oh, thank goodness. And it probably transitions into where you want to go next. And that is Home? that... Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. We make some smaller points sadly, about this. Sadly, too. Canterbury Tales, it does not transition into that. Uh, w- this is a season in which we were promised we'd get a lot of Tea Party versus Rhino primaries. Stockman would like this to be one. Cornyn is not that, but um, there are a number of races on the ballot. I, I, I do think well, – just one more thing about yeah. Stockman. I do think this is going to show us the size of, the, of that well, anti Here vote. is yet another Ross versus Evan smackdown, right. a bet that will be made in front of God and everybody on the podcast. And, that, like a, and that Ross will win. No. It's like a kitten with a ball of yarn. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure God doesn't listen you, to this podcast. I, yeah, it, yes, God listens to this podcast. <laughs> uh, yes, he does. Uh, because it's awesome. Uh, I, I believe that uh, Stockman is going to be capped out at about 25%. Ross, can you correct Evan? You know, the the issue here really is whether the Tea Party guys or the populists or the insurgents, whatever you want to call them, are big or just loud. And I don't think it's that big. I think it's louder than it is big. I agree. Um, You're making my point. But Stockman is going to show us the size of that thing. And I think it's it's going to be an indication to every to the sort of the mainstream mainline Republicans how big a threat this is and how big a threat it isn't. I, if you, you assume know. that half the electorate in the Republican Party primary, which you may you may not agree with this assumption, that in the Republican primary half the electorate is business Republicans and half the electorate is Tea Party Republicans. In the primary in or the, in the party? In the primary. Is it fifty fifty? Isn't, isn't it funny how Tea Party? If you come assume to, that, yeah. I think Cornyn gets half the Tea Party. And I think none of the business guys decide that they're so dissatisfied with Cornyn that Stockman is the solution. In our polling, you know, when you ask people, are you a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent, and then later on ask them if the Tea Party was a party, would you be a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent, or a Tea Party? Mm-hmm. The Democratic numbers stay the same. The independent numbers stay the same. And about two out of three Republicans goes over to Tea Party. So I think the Tea Party vote actually is probably smaller than that, but 50% is probably not wrong. Listen, I think the other point here to be made about the Stockman and Cornyn race is that the Democrats have yet again done bupkis. You know, Cornyn is going to be driven to the right on this race by by virtue of Stockman being in. And that's the Democrats' fault? Well, no, but the Democrats haven't put anybody consequential up to just inherit a mess if such a mess were to occur in the primary. I should say, actually, one of the the more fun – Texas political figures, in my opinion. You're going to go to Keisha Rogers here, aren't you? Uh-oh. Oh, spoiler alert. Maybe so this is the LaRouche? Keisha yep. Rogers, who is a famously uh, anti-Obama, pro-Mars colonization Democrat from... Pro-Mars colonization. Yeah, from the Houston area. Wow. Who has repeatedly won primaries in her area for other races, mm-hmm. is running for Cornyn's seat. So you can't say the Democrats have done nothing. Well, the Democrats sort of did nothing because <laughs> did Democrats nothing. were as blindsided by this as anybody. Now, they do have— Well, they uh, weren't blindsided by the opportunity to run against Cornyn. Well, all right, fine. That, that's true. They weren't. But they, I guess, have David Alamil who can spend it's a an fort- interesting, small fortune. It's an interesting bunch. you got David Alamil who's a Dallas dentist. Michael Shetland. How do you say that? Fjetland? F-J-E-T-L-A-N-D. 
Yeah, the same he way can, you pronounce he can, he can forget winning. I don't <laughs> yeah, think it's actually going to happen. Yeah. Yetland. Okay, so let's go with Yetland. And then no. you have Maxi uh, Maxi Sure Sure. Is that how you pronounce that? Maxi, yeah, Maxi Sure. So, yeah, so you have Dallas, people uh, nobody knows how to say their name. El Paso Attorney. Yeah, really hard to pronounce. That's promising. what I'm saying. David Elamil. Not difficult to say. Anyway, one and of those gets to run against a boat. Can John Cornyn after Cornyn. Can I back up a few steps and and just. When the Tea Party started, wasn't it largely about fiscal issues? Isn't it interesting Only now that we distinguish between business Republicans and Tea Party Republicans as if Tea Party means Well, business Republicans, more not in terms of, of economic versus non-economic, but more kind of Main Street, traditional. Right. And, you know, Bill Hammond types, Joe Strauss types, for that matter. I mean, the kind of people who are more con- tr- traditional, the old noblesse oblige Republicans, more George H.W. Bush than George W. Bush Not the no to everything. Although I'm not sure that the Tea Party would want George W. Bush. No, I think George W. is probably in the establishment. Yeah. So I, I think that there is definitely a divide. And look, when you look at some of these um, House races, you know, the the Tea Party guys who are challenging the likes of Lance Gooden and J.D. Sheffield and Angie Button and whomever else, the divide that's the divide, basically. It's those guys versus these guys. And the question is whether these guys, the... The J.D. Sheffield, Lance Gooden, uh, uh, Bennett Ratliff types are going to somehow migrate over to support uh, Stockman, even if they're unhappy with Corn. And the answer is not just no, but hell no. So I don't see where Stockman's vote comes from. And the fact that no one is willing to come forward and endorse Stockman, to my mind, is a pretty significant problem for him. Although, you know, Dewhurst got all the establishment endorsements against Cruz. Well, that's true. We'll see. That's true. So were there any other surprises on filing day? Obviously, Tom Pocket didn't make it to the end. Robert Talton, former House member running against Nathan Hecht Hecht for Chief Justice of the Texas Supreme Mm -hmm. Court. Hecht, I think, is the longest-serving appellate judge in Texas. Ever, as of January, Um, or or as of this January. You know, well-respected on the court. Um, Democrats don't like him, but he's well-respected as a jurist. What did he do to deserve a challenge? I think it's one of those things, this is opportunistic. You know, nobody knows who who judges are. You can run for this kind of a seat. It's a shame to see opportunism in politics. Maybe win. Shock, (laughs) shock. Right. It's It's the year of the attempted comeback by really conservative former House members. Wayne Christian, Sid Miller. Robert Talton. He's got a Where's theme. Joe Nixon He's running for attorney general? Why is that not happening? He's busy with the ethics commission trying he to is. trying to get what about, Michael Quinn Sullivan out of trouble. What about the Democrats claiming their first ever statewide incumbent since 1998? That's what I meant by 19, ever. 1996. So it was the last time anybody was still in office. Um, 94 was the last time a Democrat won a statewide position. Larry Myers is a Republican judge from Fort Worth, I think first elected in 92 to the Court of Criminal Appeals. And he hinted at this a couple of years ago at switching parties and decided at the last mm-hmm. minute not to. He just put up on his website, December 9th, 2014. Get ready. Was that, was that his hint? <laughs> 2013. <laughs> 2013. Um, and now he um, decided to enter the race for the Supreme Court and to do it as a Democrat instead of a Republican. So he stays on the Court of Criminal Appeals until after the election, whether he wins or not, and you know serves out his term if he, if he loses. I don't see the... I don't see the the Democrats making much noise at the statewide level outside of Andaputin and Davis, kind of as predicted. You know, you have I know you've got this uh, Hugh. Fit, you were talking about Hugh Fitzsimmons, 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 Hugh Fitzsimmons. Me, mm-hmm. who's running for AG. Mm-hmm. That's that's where the Democrats. That's their only big statewide primary, isn't it? With Kinky. Mm-hmm. Everyone else goes straight to the playoffs. So John Cook is uh, the mayor, former mayor of El Paso, mm-hmm. is the is the nominee against George P. Bush. 
And Mike, Sam Houston Mike, is the nominee against the attorney general candidate mm-hmm. to be named later. Mike Collier for controller. Mike Collier for comptroller. But then in the ag commissioner race, we you have a railroad re- 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 commission Democrat running. I think there, there is. must be. But give me a minute. The and so in, he's in the checking meantime, our Steve, brackets, Steve which Brown. you can check. Steve Brown, the former yes. uh, Democratic so Party chair, at his brackets on his phone. But the, exactly. uh, the ag commissioner race suddenly is a yeah, three-way Steve, race. Steve Brown, who's uh, Fort Bend County, Fort Bend Democrat. County. It's Kinky. It's Hugh Fitzsimmons, and Dale, who's the other one. Dale Henry's also running. Oh, who's run before? Right, right. as a Democrat. And for, but that's for railroads. Railroad. Who's the third ag commissioner? Hogan is his last name, Mr. Hogan. From Jim Hogan, Kinky Friedman, and Hugh Fitzsimmons the third. Uh, and Hugh Fitzsimmons was a last-minute filing, and he, you know, he has a big Bro- ranch down in South Texas. Brother of Joe Fitzsimmons, the former chair of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, mm-hmm. who, as far as I knew, is not a Democrat. His dad, Hugh, his dad, Hugh, too, uh, was on the Texas Racing Commission, raised racehorses for years. And, yeah. Yeah, he's could, so, I mean, suddenly that seems to be a more substantial candidate in the Ag Commission race against Kinky Friedman than uh, – I, I don't know much about Joe Hogan. And who's our Democrat the, in the AG race again? The Sam Houston. Sam Houston. 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 He's been dead for years, but he came back for right. this race. Right, good. Well, came back for this one. That's what the Democrats like thought it was going to take. Family Guy. He's back. <laughs> but were, th- were there any other were there any other surprises though, or interesting quirks, or is that basically a lot of people? Well, the, what one interesting quirk that is not a surprise is that this cycle, like previous cycles, there are a whole bunch of races in which the the major party not in power didn't bother to field a candidate. So you've got a number of races where the only competition for the incumbent in the fall is going to be a libertarian or a green. And a lot of races where there's not even even a libertarian or a green. You know, yeah. uh, Giovanni Capriglione put up a note the other day that said, hey, I'm elected. I'm elected. Right. Joe Moody, I'm elected. Right. Uh, I think it might know. be Castro, too, right? Joaquin Castro. Right. I think, mm-hmm. Well, I think he may have a libertarian, but basically, yes. I mean, that's the thing is that having a libertarian or a green means it's not over, but you're basically putting it in neutral right. for the rest of the year. So, it's, so the, the thing is, the same lack of drama in November that we saw in 2012 will, will be the case again this time. You'll have, you know, 200 or so people on the ballot, uh, 200 or so races, I said about, many more people than that. And come November, we're going to have maybe five or seven races that are truly competitive. Right. Gallego against the eventual winner in CD23. The, We've got two or three Senate, Senate races Senate that race could be interesting. The in SD10 will at least not be Corona's race uh, in, uh, I guess that's more of a but primary. But that's a primary. See, right. I, think, I think most of the action, as always, is in the primaries. It's the general election races that are going to be the biggest uh, snoozers. Well, in the, the Republican primaries that we already knew about, the statewide level, I think we'll provide more than enough drama to get us through to March, don't you think? No, none of us here can say, sitting here, I believe, unless somebody wants to say they do think this, that they have any idea who's going to win the AG's race or the lieutenant governor's race or the comptroller's race or the ad commission race or the railroad commission race with a certainty. Those are all races that, as of today, you could really see almost any candidate, major candidate in those races being, being the winner. That's why this is going to be so much fun. So fun. Fight club. Yeah, it is. Greatness. We might have a better sense of the outcome of the UT football coach situation. Good. That was a very nice transition. Hey. That's exactly where we're going. You I can guess. have that one for free. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, there's a, it's a time of turmoil in the university world, uh, which is nothing new, I guess. But the problem if, is, if we, my we, job we, was in trouble and I was at a university, I'd rather be making five million dollars as a head coach than whatever a president. Yeah, Seven hundred fifty thousand yeah. is the president, right? right. Seven hundred fifty thousand is the chancellor. He's not even making that much. He's making just under that. But I don't, it depends on what his package is exactly. I mean, his, there's a salary, and then there's everything on top of the salary. But uh, uh, he gets to eat the region's shit for free, basically. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's free. That comes with the package. No, the problem, if we're going to talk about this stuff, is we're recording this on Wednesday, 
The, so by the time people hear this, this all both will be both wrong in just a minute. Presidency right? yeah. and the coach may be resolved. Well, we could allow people to at hear the, the Tribcast almost instantly. At least, at least the election stuff. Todd. At least the election stuff won't be wrong for three months. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. We'll remind you. We though. have three whole months for that to be wrong. But the basic, wins the, the basic situation, right? obviously. Uh, so at University of Texas at Austin, you have the head football coach. His job is up in the air. There's rumors swirling that he will be gone. He will announce that he's stepping down by the end of the week. Um, in fact, he, there's already been reports that he he has said that, and they've been with they've been re- denied by the university, denied by UT, and by Matt right. Brown. And by Mac Brown. Right. Yeah, that's why I said there are rumors. <laughs> right. Well, uh, it's not like we're just like whispering at the water cooler. Luckily, we don't. Yes, re- luckily, no, we don't like report. That, no, it's yeah. on the. On, no, we're reading something that one person wrote online. Well, oh, so the there's internet. a water cooler involved. Well, ESPN, this water cooler has four microphones standing he, on the top yeah. of it. <laughs> I found ESPN's report last night to be much more conclusive than the other ones, but still, I guess we don't have any confirmation, right? Right. Yeah. And then tomorrow, which is Thursday, as we sit here, the president. Bill Powers' job will be discussed by the regents. Quote. And obviously he has been sort of in trouble for a while. Uh, well, not in trouble, but he's been. He didn't really do know, anything, but his job yeah, has his been job really, has really been, insecure for a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> <How's that? laughs> exactly. He got a little upset when they wouldn't let him increase tuition. Who's, who's likelier to still be employed on Monday? On Monday, Bill Powers is much more likely to be employed than Mac Brown. I Maybe think. they'll go somewhere as a package deal. <laughs> I think right. they do like each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but I, I mean – this is, I guess, just my speculation heading into Thursday, and by the time most of you listen to it, you'll probably know if it's right or wrong. But I, right or wrong, but I think that uh, Powers will get some sort of vote of support with caveats involved and get to stick around for a while. What kind of caveats? Uh, you got to meet that. Uh, he he said he wants to get his graduation rates way up, and that's been an ongoing right, that pretty, yeah. that's been an ongoing problem of his as president is that his graduation rates have been stagnant, uh, stagnant. At the top of the state, like rankings, if you're going to rank graduation rates, but that's sort of being the t- tallest short person in the room, right? I mean, their four-year graduation rates have been in the low 50 percent air range. Uh, he wants to get them up to 70 percent. Is there like a national standard for this? Is there? I mean, is that? I mean, is that where everybody kind of in the country is? Or we're in half, or? we're a little bit low. Uh-huh. But you know, big state universities, you're going to be lower than big private universities. Right. If you're Bill Powers, do you want this job under these circumstances badly enough to accept any caveats? Well, that's the calculation he's making with his team right now, right? Well, you know, I don't know that. You know, I, I don't know that that's true. Do you know does that? Does he like this job enough to want to stick around in the midst of all this crap? I mean, who would do this terrible job with its, you know, sort of <laughs> the most prominent job in a city that everyone loves? It's a loves, great job. It's a high-pressure job. It's a political job. Makes a lot job. of money. You know. Get to go to football games. Yeah. But, I mean, is there any light at the end of the tunnel for him on this? Yeah, he can retire someday. He's not that young. Well, right, he can retire someday. But, I mean, you know, is there a light at the end of the tunnel, like, where these kinds of fights will stop? I think, actually, the thinking is that tomorrow might be the light at the end of the tunnel. It just not might, it might be sort of shaded a little bit. One theory theory here is that if all this hadn't happened over the last couple of years, two and a half years, he has already served longer as president than Larry Faulkner, I believe, served right. as president of UT. His health has famously not been good. He had that pulmonary embolism a couple of years ago. Fortunately, got through that. He is not a young man. He's in his upper 60s, you know, approaching 70. And, you know, this is a, a job that requires a lot of somebody physically. It's, it's a taxing job. You spend a lot of time traveling around the country fundraising and going to football games and volleyball games and this and that. And he's now the president of the AAU, which is going to require even more travel. 
Now, That's the Association of American, American universities. universities. One theory is that had none of this happened, by now he would have left that job on his own. The problem is that if they, if he wants to retire now, everybody will perceive his departure as having right, been forced. Being forced out. Does he have any stated sort of goals for what he'd like to accomplish before he gets out of here? Is there something Finish like Finish the AAU year, right? That's he'd, probably right. it. He'd, uh, he would like to get the graduation rates up. Right. Um, and I don't think it's a stated goal, but I think he wouldn't mind outlasting Rick Perry. Just because. See, that's interesting. That, you're, you're making a good point here because the AAU tenure is almost exactly aligned with the amount of time that Perry has left. So if he can somehow hold on, he serves out the AAU term, Perry hands the baton to Abbott. Abbott has to make po- appointments to the Regents right away when he gets into office. Will he? He'll have to make them right away. February of 2015, he has three appointments. Mm-hmm. We don't have to make them right away. So, right. so Jan- January 2015, powers Symbolically, and- right. right, that's going to be an important moment. Powers may think, I've lived past my due date. What's Jan- Abbott's January relationship 20- with that's Powers? Not, that's, not, that's, that's not. Do Abbott and Powers have any? They have a good relationship. I think they have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. No. You don't think there's anything significant about Abbott? You don't think that symbolically Abbott will want to show with those region appointments that a page is being turned? No, I think he will. But I think those appointments are not what's interesting. What's interesting is whether or not he asks the most recent Perry appointments to stay on or if he asks them to leave. And are they up in 2015? No. So can he, in the middle of a term, say, ah, I don't like you guys? He well, could say, hey, anyway, do you want to step down? If anybody – well, and if and anybody, right. they say, hey, no. And they no. say, not exactly. Has everybody they can, on the Board of Regents – has anybody on the has everybody on the current Board of Regents been um, approved by the Senate? Yes. Okay. What's with the impeachment? Well, that's also interesting, right? So next week they're hoping to wrap up the work of the Transparency Committee, which is investigating Regent Laws Hall and whether or not they want to recommend his impeachment – uh, you know, it's possible that that could be wrapped up next week. I don't know if we'll have their recommendations, but their special counsel, Rusty Harden, his contract is up at the end of December. So they're really itching to finish up. Now, one of the open questions is whether or not Hall will testify. They still haven't subpoenaed him. There's he said he won't testify. He has said he'd only do it with a subpoena, right? right. And, and so there's some, there's do they some... need him to achieve their goal? Of getting to the bottom of all this? Well, if the goal is to impeach him. Well, the, the goal for starters, right, is to invest. On what the goal is. Right. If the goal is to get to the bottom of it, you should probably talk to the guy. I think they want to talk to the guy. Met, everyone has said that. Uh, you know, if he refuses to talk to them, then, you know, I, you know I mean, they will get as close to that goal as possible without him, I guess. But there's a, there's a provision in the government code that does – the uh, subpoena does provide you some protection uh, – in your testimony, if you're some giving sensitive right. testimony, civil, civil. which is why uh, UT got, officials have also asked for it in some circumstances. And they've gotten right? them, but yeah. in many in many cases, they've gotten them the day that they testify. Do you think Hall is, Hall is trying to protect himself because he's concerned that if he testifies without a subpoena, they may not get him from an impeachment standpoint, but there may be other things that come up that then are actionable. Is that what is that what the concern yeah possible? Is? You know, everyone, almost everyone involved except for Jim Pitts has asked for a subpoena. So that way, just if they need protection, if they're asked anything, yourself right? Legally, yeah. Or I guess you don't want to get sued by somebody else. You yeah. want to be able to say, you know, I came here not on my own volition. I was not cooperating. I was just doing what I had to do legally. But there's some back and forth in the committee if they want to give them a subpoena or not. Has there been any evidence presented, Reeve? You've paid so much more attention to this than the rest of us have. That he has done anything that would rise to the level or is it just that you know people want to impeach him for being a pain in the ass you don't need a level well that yeah that's the question is what is the level there is no set level and so if you just since there's no precedent for what kind of action is impeachable you just fill in the blank yeah so you look at the historical precedent and if you ask does he behave like a, tr- a regents are traditionally expected to the answer is obviously no 
So then your next question is, does his behavior harm the institution? And everyone, even people that are perceived to be for him, for him that have testified so far, have said it has gotten to a point where it's harming the institution. Now, so then now you have to decide based on that, is that harm at a level that's impeachable? And there's no rule for what the level is. It doesn't. It's not like it has to be a criminal offense to impeach someone. In I would be very surprised. I would be extremely surprised if this ever got to a conviction in the Senate, just because of the politics of it. You and know, the, it's, and it's the numbers, pretty much. A, yeah. You know, because empower Texans will put it on a scorecard. Uh, Perry will push his people. Yeah, I mean, you make fun of it, but there are plenty of people that are afraid of the empower Texans scorecard in the legislature or uh, other groups as well. So uh, the politics of it are tricky, but I think there are definitely – there's more pro-UT feeling than there is pro-Wallace Hall feeling in the Capitol. I want to know why this is not being placed at the feet of the past chairman, right? I mean who runs a region? It's the chairman. If you got a rogue element on your board, let's assume that Wallace Hall did some stuff he shouldn't have done. Where the hell was Gene Powell when all this is going on? Why couldn't Gene Powell – or the leadership of the regions rein him in if if that's the case. And why has there been absolutely no culpability on that front? Well, and that's what's interesting about um, you know, the system is in a terrible position because the the university points at the system and they say, "You all didn't do it. They did this to us." And then this, the regents, the region in question, whilst all can point to the system staff and say, "They let me do this," and so sort of the system is stuck there. Now the head of the system really is the chancellor, but the head of then you have the board, and that's that was Chairman Powell. And he will go down historically as an interesting legacy. On the one hand, he led the merger of the two South Texas universities. We're also going to find out the name of that university this week. Uh, my money is on University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. Because uh, it's so hotly debated. It is, hot, it is, it is super hotly university debated. University of the Rio Grande Valley? Yeah. That's what my money's on. I would stay steering a middle I wouldn't course, laugh at that. It's it? very, very hotly debated, Why is especially it so in the hotly Valley. Because the UT Pan American people do not want to lose the name UT Pan American, and UT Pan American is very applicable to what the new university is, whereas UT Brownsville is not. What is the What are the other finalists? Uh, I feel like they're University all some, of Tejas. Aren't they all one? some variation? Yeah, University of Tejas is no, 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 no U- 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 University Tejas. of Texas Las Americas. Right. Yeah. Is one that's one that's that's sort of dead on arrival. Kind of a mouthful. University, University of Texas International was, was thrown out there. That's there going nowhere. Like Texas A&M there was a version that had Tejas. There was a version that had Tejas. Yeah. I don't, was there? It's I'm weird. I sure. Well, it's not going yeah. anywhere. Nothing that yeah. sounds uh, too uh, Spanish right. is going to make it to the finals. Well, uh, fine. UT, so much for friendship, our motto. Yeah. Right. Right. UT International was floated, but UTI is an acronym that's already uh, taken. <laughs> so that's not going to happen. Is that urinary tract infection? Yes, yes, that's hysterical. Oh, that would be hilarious. I really liked UT South. It's like when they almost named that, that Texas A&M thing. UT Cam-Bon, South right? is like University of the Big South. Cam-Bon. It's like... Um, Nazareth. You know Sewanee. The, Sewanee. Sewanee, yeah. A bunch yeah. of kids walking around with dip in their mouth and... You know, oh, boy. The Sewanee grads are going to come out oh, in full yeah. force. Yikes. Here come the Episcopalians. No, but that is a hotly debated issue. So it will be – I mean that actually is interesting. So, But Powell will have the legacy. He's created that university. He helped the medical school there and in Austin. But he also allowed the board and the system to basically become non-functional at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't know why it doesn't redound to him more. But he's out of the picture largely. He's still a vice right. chair right. on the right. board. Yeah, right. But he doesn't seem to get the flack for it. That's because he hasn't been as active in physically going after the administration. Wallace Hall has actually been on the campus trying to dig through their records, and Powell has not. Do you think the football program not being its best self 
is in in some ways contributing to Powers' problem with the regions that somehow the definitely makes more people pay attention. The helmet rots from the head down or something. Yeah, like pe- people <laughs> people really only pay attention if it's about football, football when it comes to higher education stuff. Right, basketball didn't do it. Baseball yeah. didn't do it. Well, and the fact that that this whole, all the Saban stuff, you know, that the regions that there was region action there too, you know, right. blends this whole issue. Yeah. And of course, the other thing to watch is that A and M is looking for its own president right now. You know, their president is off to University Missouri. of Missouri, and they're looking for a new president. We're expecting I, an interim president a, to be named I on Saturday. I got a perfect suggestion for them for the president A and M. I'm very happy just doing this podcast, Evan, but I appreciate it. Well, what, <laughs> Mac Brown, Bill Powers, <laughs> Mac Brown. Yeah, dude, maybe looking for a job soon. All right, if you guys have suggestions for presidents for any of our top universities, then he'd have to move to College Station. Emily Ramshaw, ladies and gentlemen. That's brilliant. E. Ramshaw. <laughs> send, send your suggestions at. to tribcast at texasubune.org. On behalf of... I like Collar Station. Do you? Do you like it? I do. do you Evan like Smith, it? the next president Evan of Smith, Texas. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what do you like about it? I hear there's a good candidate. I, I think it's no, a really nice community. Have you had the veggie burger at the Dixie Chicken? It's oh, delicious. Oh, actually, that is a good I, place. I only, go to the, <laughs> I only go to the Dixie Mushroom. Uh, on behalf of Emily, <laughs> Ross, Evan, and our producer Todd, He's I would like to 30. thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music and thank you all for listening. Whoa, that was a joke.